Well, hello there. This is Sean Dillon, the host of the Dead North podcast. It's been a while, hasn't it? Since last holiday season, in fact. Where has Dead North been this past year? Well, the short and simple answer is that as the world has opened back up, it has gotten harder to get theater makers excited about contributing to a podcast. Understandably. And so, for lack of content, Dead North just quietly drifted away into the night. But the most exciting part of Dead North has always been Blight Christmas, our celebration of holiday-themed horror each December, a collection of audio theater from some amazing Twin Cities artists. And so we've rallied the troops one last time to bring you Blight Christmas 3, featuring 14 groups over 13 days. The work is superb, and the styles and tones vary deliciously. I think you're going to love it. But why winter holiday horror at all? Didn't we pass the horror holiday back at the end of October? In my view, no. Halloween is just the season opener. Midwinter is the championship. In the world of electric lights and heat and relative plenty, midwinter has lost some of its sting for most of us. It's easy to overlook that at this time of the year, the world is almost actively trying to kill us. And throughout history, that has spawned stories of what is lurking out there in the cold darkness and the perseverance of the people who make it through the long, dark night. That's a tradition we'd like to feed. And speaking of food, we're kicking things off with a piece by our friends over at Hot Chocolate Media, our co-producers on this show. This piece is written, performed, and produced by Jacob Gulliver, with story editing by Kyle Decker and sounds from Pixabay and freesound.org. Inspired by 1970s horror anthologies, this thrilling revenge story explores the resentment and social pressure around family gatherings at the holidays. So without further ado, here is Stocking Stuffer. The troubles began with an offhand comment one family Christmas. A little light on the stocking stuffers this year, aren't we? My dear cousin Randolph had been blessed with a handsome face and a fat wallet, but little in the way of common courtesy. I wasn't sure whether or not he kept a job. He seemed to change the subject to horse racing or baseball whenever anyone asked. His father, my uncle Charles, had been in high-profile finance for the better part of two decades and attended most of the family gatherings via an apologetic telephone call. His wife, Anna, was often in attendance, though she usually seemed more attendant to the indulgent holiday palliatives than to the people in attendance. Her sister, and my mother, Grace, on the other hand, was a widow, had managed to scrape together enough to get by with a nursing career that kept her away for many evenings as well. She had never once missed our family gatherings, however, and it was when she seemed to be the most herself, <laughs> finally indulging in all the finer foods and lively conversation she had so looked forward to during those long nights. While my dear cousin Randolph shared comments about how the turkey was a little too overdone for his taste, my mother Grace was only ever a stark reminder why people adore the holidays, and it was her delight that I cherished. We were something of a family of individuals, I suppose, but when Christmas came around again, there did seem to be a notable rekindling of the soul between us. Well, for most of us anyway. I loved Aunt Anna and Uncle Charles, but it was my opinion that their distant parenting had left my dear cousin a deeply spoiled little prick. While the remainder of the party on that particular Christmas was relatively unremarkable, I would discover in the coming months that Randolph's comment about the stocking stuffers had really stuck with my mother. She had begun collecting little items to go into Randolph's stocking as early as the following February, 
By the time the holidays rolled around again, she had what could have easily filled a top-tier corporate gift basket for his stocking, in addition to a lovely cable-knit sweater as a separate gift under the tree. Amongst the collected pieces she had placed within his stocking were a watch, some gourmet roasted chestnuts, and a pair of tickets to a baseball game. Reggie Jackson would be playing. Lovely gifts, thoughtful gifts that anyone should have loved. Alas, it seemed this was to go unappreciated as well. Boy, really making up for that disastrous showing last year, eh? Shameless pandering, all of you, really. Well, he didn't know that the vast majority of the gifts in his turgid stocking were from my mother. I could discern a palpable anguish she was attempting to conceal from the rest of the family. This was a personal failing to her, and nothing could be done to assuage that feeling throughout the rest of the evening. A few Christmases passed, and my mother continued to try and find the perfect combination of stocking stuffers to send my dear cousin Randolph into fits of gratitude. It was admirable of her to try, but to be frank, I wasn't ever certain I'd heard the words thank you come out of his mouth. I called him up a few weeks before Christmas and explained that my mother had been really overloaded at work lately, and stressed that he should pay special attention to the gifts he was given this year. She could do with a bit of appreciation, I said. Well, I'll do my best, I suppose. You'd think with all the time she spends on this, she'd come up with something a little less commonplace. I had to feed those cut-rate chestnuts to the dogs last year. This wasn't the first time he had looked down on us for being a lower class than he was. He had learned all the right words to ride his natural charisma like a rocket, and managed to worm his way into enough influential circles that he didn't need much else. I was much better read than he was, despite my community college schooling costing a fraction of his private tutoring. A few years earlier, I spent quite some time saving to be able to afford a Ford Pinto, and my mother Grace was proud enough to mention it to the rest of the family. Here I was thinking it was a necessity rather than an achievement. Aunt Anna was proud of me as well, and ended up gifting me a lovely pair of driving gloves for an early birthday present a few weeks later. Randolph managed a wry smile and lifted his whiskey glass in a gesture of recognition when the announcement was made, but I sensed he thought it was a failure on my part. Later that evening, as I was taking a smoke break, Randolph decided to join me. Congratulations on your new bicycle. Let me know if you ever want to ride in a real car. At that time, he drove a 77 Stingray in camel tan with a frost beige interior. He seemed to think the colors were important, but frankly I couldn't have cared less. It was barely a year and a half before he would wreck it. I tried my best to forget the insults and indignities for the sake of familial peace, as my mother put it. It had become harder and harder as time went on, and I could feel the strain of it all threatening to burst. Sure enough, our most tenebrous Christmas came shortly thereafter. When it came time to open our presents, I discovered there was nothing for either of us under the tree from dear Cousin Randolph. Even the perpetually absent Uncle Charles had the forethought to have something there for us, and while the bottles of wine he gave us weren't exactly what I usually went after, they were certainly higher quality than my usual fare. We seemed to notice a little quicker than he did, but once it was apparent, a sheepish smile crept across his face. Sorry, Auntie Grace. I lost a pretty penny on a horse this week, I'm afraid. Surely you'll forgive me. And of course she did, despite his disingenuous apologetics. My dear mother was the sort to forgive anyone for anything to the point of outright accepting abuse, but 
I would not have been nearly so kind had I been in her well-worn shoes. Ultimately, it hadn't mattered to me whether I'd gotten a gift from my dear cousin, but I did my best to hold my tongue about his lack of gift for my mother. She was distracted and disengaged from her usual holiday cheer. Some time before dessert, I stole away to the kitchen to refill my mother's cup, along with Anna's and my own, and I was surprised to find my dear cousin Randolph whispering into the phone in the hallway. He was placing another bet on a horse with a bookie, it seemed, and was in the midst of counting through a wad of cash on the table in front of him. He was even so bold as to mention to the bookie that he'd been handing on Tana extra glasses and bragged about how he always did this when he needed to nick something from her purse. I found myself frozen for a moment, stunned by the revelation that he could be as thoughtlessly cruel to his own mother as he was to mine. He didn't notice me right away, but eventually he did. I could do nothing but meet his unrepentant gaze. He finished his call and passed me by with naught but a smile and a wink, pressed his finger to his lips as though I would be pleased as punch to share this little secret with him. The facts were these. My dear cousin Randolph was an irredeemable drain upon our family and would experience the same misery he had inflicted upon my mother Grace and his own troublingly inebriated mother Anna. As I contemplated that thought, the deep, all-encompassing rage of grievances past began to burgeon within me. Not the red-faced, kicking and shouting sort of rage, mind you. Rather a hot wave of unmistakable purpose that rode up my spine and made my fingers twitch in preparation for what came next. As he stopped to adjust his cravat in the hallway mirror, I picked up an unused candelabra from the credenza and beat him across the head with it. Amidst the jazzy holiday arrangements coming from down the hall, his tumble to the floor was barely a whisper. While my dear cousin had no obvious career to speak of, I busied my days with working behind the deli counter of the supermarket just down the road from my apartment. I wouldn't describe myself as a butcher per se, but I was more than familiar with the equipment necessary to perform the task, and I had a few unique menu items planned for this evening. A very special Christmas supper indeed. The store was closed for Christmas, but I had a key for opening or closing shifts. My dear cousin Randolph and I would be alone for the rest of the evening. Him, tied to a chair with a chaotic mix of butcher's twine and duct tape, and me sipping on a lovely glass of Chateau Lafitte from his father. It seemed only right to have a glass of wine with dinner, even if Randolph would be the only one eating. I took two meat hooks and strung them through his bottom jaw and upper lip to make sure his mouth stayed open. This shocked him back to consciousness pretty quickly, though he did drift in and out from the pain over the next few minutes. Once he was awake and most of the bleeding had stopped, I was ready to serve the first course. In his open mouth, I placed a fresh mess of ground turkey, bones and all, raw as can be, just to make sure it wasn't too overdone for him. Next, a bit of horse meat, which my manager had obtained for a pair of Belgian immigrants who had apparently grown up with the stuff. It wasn't for me personally, but it was certainly for dear cousin Randolph, despite his copious protestations. He did ask me why I was doing this to him numerous times, but I had chosen to remain silent. It seemed only right he should be ignored the way he ignored the needs of his own family. 
An entire Rawlings baseball was next, and then the money from his wallet. All of it was run through the grinder with the meat before adding it to the wet, pink pile of flesh I had been force-feeding him. Finally, there was just one more thing remaining that I knew he loved. Himself. Just a finger or toe, if he was lucky. We'd have to wait and see how repentant he was. My dear cousin Randolph would become himself a fine stocking, and I intended to make sure he was never again unsatisfied with the stuffing. The Dead North Podcast and Blight Christmas are a production of Oncoming Productions with assistance from Hot Chocolate Media. I have been your host, Sean Dillon, and intro and outro music are by Eric Ostrom. The copyrights for all pieces are held by their creators. If you would like to support the artists who've created this work, we'd love your support. There is a link to our PayPal fund in the show notes. We all wish you a very happy holiday season with just enough chills to make you appreciate the warmth of home, friends, and family. Stay safe out there. <laughs>